Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. This is the Runner's World Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 12 of the Runner's World Podcast. Each month we'll be bringing you the latest training advice, news and interviews from across the running world. I'm Rick Pearson, the Runner's World Section Editor, and I'm here with Ben Hobson, the Digital Editor. Ben, tell us what we've got coming up this month. Well, an excellent episode this month. We've got Jasmine Paris, who will be talking about her incredible victory at last month's Spine Race. Phil Hewitt will be taking us through his new inspiring book, Outrunning the Demons. And we'll be looking ahead to the Boston Marathon with the help from our annoyingly fast CEO at Hearst, James Wildman, who's got a place. There you go. Fair play. Fair play. What have you been up to this month, Ben? Um, well, I'd, the moment everyone hears this, they need to go to Runner's World dot com slash uk new website new website and it is smooth it is actually yeah it looks, looks great really, right it does look really good yeah uh, excellent yeah. yeah so we've got a new website so everyone go and have a look at that and find everything that you need to know about running and on a personal level rick mm-hmm. i've been chasing mud tell me more well because the orion 15 is fast approaching which is end of march which yep. is the next race for me so everyone that i've spoken to um my good friend Nick Harris Fry, who is an Orion Harriers man, okay, uh, he told me that it's notoriously muddy, right? Because Epping is really muddy. I've just been trying. I've been high park running in the sand, okay, like red rum. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> and after the race, I will probably disappear. <laughs> well, this sounds interesting. Actually, uh, talking about mud, I went to the uh, Southern Cross Country Championships uh, in late January, oh, and. Nice. Uh, that wasn't as muddy as previous years. No, it's pretty dry on the heat. It was all right, actually. Yeah. So it was a really good year of racing. Very, very quick. Um, great men's and, and women's fields. But there was a lot of chat about uh, the run equal yes. stuff. Because actually, at the Southerns, it, men and women run vastly different distances. So the men run 15k, and the women only run eight. So it's almost like half the distance. Yeah. So there's a lot of lot of uh, run equal t-shirts out. And I know it's yeah, it's still getting a lot of debate in the running world. And it's, yeah. it's a weird... It's, it's, as far as debates go, though, it seems to be in a stuck in a loop. Yes, agreed, agreed. Right. So our first podcast we had Maud on. Yeah, a year ago. Yeah, and she was talking to us then, and we were like, "Great, someone's raising this, and there's an official like drive and blah blah." Yeah. And it just seems to be looping around and around with sort of surveys with runners. Some saying they mm. want it, some saying they don't. Yes. Similarly, the running clubs saying that they do, and some saying they don't, and it just sort of. I don't know. It's, it's, frustra- it's frustratingly well, slow. Yeah, it's, yeah, and it seems to sort of got quite muddied and grey areaed in terms of like who wants what and things like that. But then, I think most runners welcome it, and I think also the general trend in in outside running is towards equality in all things, isn't of it? Of course, and and that's what everyone should aim for. And I I just think that actually the the days of the Southerns being that much, that big disparities between men and women are, are almost done. Actually, I, I think two 
more years tops and we'll we'll have equalized the distances and i think that would be great um but we'd like to hear what you think listeners if have you got an opinion on this we know it's a, a real divisive issue so if you have email us at podcast at runnersworld.co.uk this is the runners world podcast Back in February 2016, Phil Hewitt was brutally robbed and stabbed during an attack in South Africa. While the physical wounds healed relatively quickly, the mental scars took far longer and Phil found himself suffering from the symptoms of acute PTSD. Through running, Phil began the long road to recovery and his new book, Outrunning the Demons, is a collection of real-life stories from other runners who have used running to help them recover from traumatic situations. Could you take us back, Phil, to that incident in, in February 2016? What are your memories of the moments kind of before and yeah, after the attack? well, it was, it was such a strange day. It was a fantastic day in so many respects. I'd longed to go and watch England play cricket abroad. It was fulfilling an ambition and it was a brilliant day. England lost, but surrounded <laughs> by the wonderful South African families who were just taking the mick out of me that I travelled quite so far to see Joss Butler out first ball and Joe Root out for one etc and yeah England lost but I just left the ground on a total high Mm. and I think I left my brains in the ground as well I was looking around for a bus or a taxi to get back it's about six or seven miles outside central Cape Town no buses no taxis I just thought well prolong the pleasure of the day and walk and I asked a few people and they said well you can do it but I wouldn't do it but Mm. I just kept on going and uh, this is the Concorde fallacy. The further into a project you go, the more difficult it becomes to go back. So yeah. I just kept walking, kept walking, and got to a point where the only way into central Cape Town was to walk along a motorway. So I was wandering along the hard shoulder and thinking, oh my goodness, is this where my life ends? Yeah. And then the hard shoulder stopped, and I scrambled up onto a bank and saw a little path on the far side of the motorway. So I legged it across eight lanes of motorway, wow. tumbled down this path, and I was in this wide-open, desolate area, derelict area, and I could see central Cape Town on the horizon. I kind of knew where I was, but I didn't realise the implications of where I was. I was in mm. a place called District 6, which is notoriously dangerous. Right. So I was just walking, striding through there, thinking, well, I know where I'm going, know where I'm going, with my favourite Rolling Stones T-shirt on and a very expensive camera around my neck, and heard pitter-patter behind me. Someone ran up and said, I want your camera, or words to that effect, mm. and seemed to punch me twice in the leg. And I think it was the force of the punch pushed me over, and in falling, I pulled him down, and he was behind me, kicking me in the back, kicking me in the back of the neck, back of the head. And that was pretty painful. I yeah. just sort of tried to roll round, so he was in front of me, at which point he was kicking me in the stomach and kicking me in the throat, which was even more painful. Yeah. And when he was doing that, I looked down and saw that my leg was absolutely, totally awash with blood. And what I thought had been the two punches, he had actually stabbed me. And so I let go of the camera. Um, he got to his feet. And I think I'd really annoyed him at this point because he just stood there and kicked and kicked and kicked. Wow. So my stomach just kicked and kicked. And then he he ran off, uh, leaving me. I was sort of on rubbly, grassy bit. I sort of dragged myself up back onto the pavement. And I was just lying there thinking, what's going to happen? I was thinking all sorts of strange thoughts. You know, it's, it's odd consolation. I was thinking, well, at least I've got my favourite Rolling Stones T-shirt on, being a Rolling Stones obsessive. Yeah. But I was also thinking that... I don't know, was time running out? Um, There was a lot of blood. The blood was on the pavement around Mm. me. Um, I could feel my eyesight going a bit wobbly around the edges. I don't know if it was shock or blood loss, but I also felt this immense, overwhelming tiredness and just wanted to lie back and shut my eyes. But in the back of my mind, I realised that if I did that, then... That could be it. I would have died, I think, because, yeah, well, I would 
possibly bled out, I don't know, but no one would have stopped for what appeared to be a corpse by the roadside. So I propped myself off one, one elbow and wearing my GPS watch. It's, it's, <laughs> I know just exactly how long I was propping myself up for, just under a couple of minutes. And this car pulled up, the only car around. So it's a horrible area. It was absolutely abandoned, desolate. It was bulldozed in the 1960s under apartheid. Nothing there whatsoever, just mm. rubble and flat desolation, basically. Yeah. So I was so lucky that there was anything there, let alone the fact that this guy had the courage, the decency, just the brilliance to stop for me. And it's all slightly surreal. He was a pizza delivery driver and he pulled up his pizza delivery car and started walking towards me and uh, he was pulling me up and uh, he pulled me into the back of his car propped my leg up on this pile of pizzas and I always think, you know, I need to apologise to anyone who received a, a home delivery pizza in Cape Town after about half past eight that night because it wasn't in a very nice state. Right. But they're just the things that stay in your mind, like uh, the thing that goes around my mind is the fact, you know, how close was I? Was I sort of measuring in minutes at that mm. point? Mm. Maybe I wasn't, maybe. But uh, another thing that's really, I found shocking was he had a lovely assistant with him who got out of the car with him and walked towards me. I think she must have been about 16, 17 or so. And then she just stopped in horror and was staring at me. Mm. And I've never seen horror on anyone's face. And until you do, just the impact of it, she just could not speak. She could not move. Her jaw was dropped yeah. in horror. Wow. And just because she was looking at me. And for ages, I thought, you know, I was really upset about that because I'd done that to her and I was hoping that she didn't have nightmares about it and I didn't want to be responsible for her upset. Mm. But then I think maybe about a year later, I realised why that impacted on me so much was because when I was looking at her, I was looking at the perfect reflection of my situation at that moment. Right. In her face was yeah. just, God, I must have looked to state. So the guy whisked me to hospital. He was brilliant. He, um, he started hitting loads of red lights and uh, he's pulled up the car and yanked his pizza sign off the roof, gave it to me in the back and then he whizzed through all the red lights, got to hospital, whizzed in, got a, um, a wheelchair, took me in and uh, I was stitched up. And yeah, it's quite a nasty wow. tally of injuries. It's a very How, um, deep stab to my thigh and a gash that's about four or five inches to my calf and three ribs kicked in. And wow. I think it's about 15 stitches, a couple of stitches in my hand as well. I must have tried to defend myself at one point. And um, pretty battered, bruised liver and very, very sore around the abdomen. And got back managed to get through the rest of the week in Cape Town and uh, yeah. you sort of stagger on not wanting to be the party pooper I was meeting up with an old mate from work who was out there and I think the shock of it didn't really hit me until I got back home mm. and then blimey it hits you with a vengeance sure. and you just realise you know that moment could have been your last um, so was it when upon return is that when you realised perhaps that you hadn't quite gauged what had happened or was it much lot further down the I line think or was it? You, you sort of continue with adrenaline with shock you just sort of carry on somehow but as soon as back in the familiar environs of home it just hit me just what could have happened and it, the thing that was so horrible and remains horrible was just so many unanswered questions mm. as a journalist i'm used to asking questions right. and i'm used to getting answers and i just wanted to know so much i wanted to know this guy's name where he'd been what he did with my camera why he was in that situation what he got for my camera i want to know you know would i have died i don't know that i would what would have happened if the pizza mm. guy had driven on by and these questions just went round and round and round and round and round my head and just built up into 
a really horrible panic attack in a very quiet Sunday afternoon shopping centre in Fareham in Hampshire in Boots the Chemist and I just stood there and just felt utterly overwhelmed. I didn't know whether I was going to faint, pass out, throw up, God knows what, or just collapse, or mm. just whether I was even going to just run out of the shop screaming. But I knew if anyone mm. had spoken to me, I would have dissolved into tears. God knows what. Mm. I would have been a total emotional meltdown. And I mm. just rode it for a couple of minutes that seemed like an eternity and just sort of came out the other side and thought, right, going back to see our local nurse the next morning yeah. so I presented to him and said he's a fantastic runner 2.38 marathon wow. runner impressive seriously yeah. impressive yeah. times I would never touch and I said to him look um, this happened my wounds are clearly infected and uh, he looked at them and said no Phil they're healing really nicely do you think you ought to talk to someone about this mm. and I didn't want to at that point I have since and it has been helpful but I didn't want to at that point so I came up with my own two point plan that night I started writing down everything that had happened all the thoughts all the emotions all the fears all the questions I listed all the questions I wanted answers to it was about 450 different questions in stupid degree of detail the things I wanted to know about mm. what happened to me started that and that was a little bit of relief and then the very next morning with two stab wounds in my leg three broken ribs on the other side yeah guts that hurt like hell from the kicking it was about two and a half three weeks after the attack mm. i went for a run and you guys will understand as runners yeah bloody hell something just lifted and it was a lovely spring morning and just suddenly i felt like i was me again i was back you know no longer phil had been stabbed but phil had run 30 marathons and just something about it, it really really hurt but i could just feel the sort of mess in my mind starting mm. to dissolve i mean it, it hasn't gone away it never will but it, that was the first thing yeah. that actually broke through the horror mm. of what happened did you feel kind of in control and and kind of empowered again through running absolutely yeah and chatting to our fantastic gp just before christmas about trauma and he was saying in his understanding the thing about trauma is the loss of control and I think the most precious thing that running gives us, mm. you get control back. You, even, you know, you decide what colour running top you're going to wear, mm. uh, which yeah. running shoes you're going um, to wear, and whether you turn left or you turn right, or how long you stay out for, how long you push yourself, whether you sort of chase it between the lampposts, whatever, you are suddenly back in control. Mm. And I'm sure that's what running gave me. And I think... I think running also gave me a, a sort of renewed sense of connection. I think mm. one of the horrible things about being traumatised is that you do feel isolated. You, you have this horrible, almost sort of arrogant feeling of no one can understand this, what happened to me. Mm. You know, mm. Most of us don't get stabbed. Yeah. But it's so difficult to convey to other people the feeling of, well, not, not absolutely not the pain, but just all the sort of, I don't know, the vortex of emotions that go round around yeah. your mind. In, yeah. You're in that situation. All the things you want to know about, and just loss of control, but isolation... But running just connects you, doesn't it? Yeah. There's a love. I'd never before then mm. really understood the camaraderie of runners. I'd always been quite solitary as a runner. Yeah. But I started enjoying the company of runners in a way I never had before. But also, it connects you with nature. You're just sort of... Mm. I stopped listening to music at that point. Yeah. I'd always listened to music while running. And yeah. I didn't. And it was so lovely to just sort of be reconnecting with, with the outside world in a lovely sort of healing positive rhythmic kind of way yeah. you know what running does i mean it just gives you back a kind of sense of perspective doesn't it and, and, and sort of peace of mind and a, yeah. a sort of freedom and control and running was giving me all those things so i continued writing down yeah. and rather than an account of a trauma 
the book, the, the text I was writing became an account of how running heals. And I continued to run, I continued to write, and it got to the point where it was starting to seem like a book, and that's when I sent it off. Yeah. It's interesting, the book, because it's not just your story, um, Phil, which is incredible and, and, and worthy of a book in itself. And I think the way you talk about running is... Very, very moving. Do you recognise the feelings? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I, don't, I mean, as you say, not everyone will have experienced what you have experienced, but everyone knows that sense of connect yeah. when you, you're able to switch off from whatever it is that you absolutely. need to detach You, you don't have to be traumatised to enjoy running, but no, if you're traumatised, it certainly helps. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, but I mean, even if it's just the sort of the stress of the day or the, the thing that's bothering you, the, you know, that you yes. can't perhaps get a grip on quite yet, but the run might help. It's, yeah, it's, it's one of the interviewees in the book said running is the perfect no- mind tunnel, and that's yeah. what it gives you, isn't it? It's a way of so putting things back into perspective yeah. and proportion. And, yeah. So when I proposed the book, um, Bloomsbury, the publishers, were fantastic. They've been absolutely brilliant throughout, mm. so supportive, so constructive. Their instant response was, yes, they liked what I'd written, but they wanted a much wider survey mm. of people who've run in the wake of awful things happening. Um, and yeah, to describe the book in a nutshell, it's essentially people who've been to hell and discovered that the quickest, surest, safest way back is to run. So I started researching, just looking on the internet, some people that I can try and track down and chat to. And I think I was enormously touched by the willingness and the openness and the honesty and the chattiness of all the people mm. I approached. People who'd been through horrible things, but had gained something through running and were keen to share that. And yeah, I met with amazing openness, everyone I spoke to. So it's people who've run in the wake of 9-11. Yeah. There's a lovely story of a, a firefighter who, who perished on that day, which was actually his 40th birthday. And he was just eight weeks away from running his first New York City marathon. And his widow just couldn't bear the thought of his number not crossing the line. It's the most powerful story ever. She wasn't remotely a runner, but just in that grief, in that trauma, and losing him on his 40th birthday, losing him whenever, she just became fixed on wanting his number to cross that line. So they got together 13 mates of firefighting colleagues and former college colleagues, etc., and they stood two miles apart, 13 of them, on the route of the New York City Marathon. None of them runners. Yeah. and just took his number from one to the next wow. and got his number over the line. And I just cannot think of a more powerful image of facing something that's absolutely insuperable, something that's just so unimaginably horrible, mm. but you need to get beyond it. So what do you do? You just break it down, break it down, put it back together again. And that's what they did. And it's that kind of healing. There's, uh, I t- never for a minute, I don't think, bizarrely regretted what happened to me because I think you sort of pobble through life and then something comes along that makes you think, makes mm. you stop, makes you take stock, makes you realise what really matters, what's important in life, and that did for me. And you know, I, yeah. I think I have a greater appreciation of family and friends mm. and a greater appreciation of running, which I've always loved, but I kind of feel well, like I, I know why I love it I now. I was going to say, so you, you mentioned you'd, you'd, you'd run 30-odd sort of marathons yeah. prior to the anything oh, happening. The first one, first marathon back after that was oh. just the most extraordinary <laughs> yeah. emotion. It's funny, something that happened at work that really annoyed me, and I just think I couldn't, I couldn't run a marathon, couldn't run a marathon, just out of annoyance at something at work. I yeah. just went out and ran 16 miles and thought, time for a marathon so yeah. I did 
And it just felt so lovely to be back at the start of a race in that great big huddle, all these people, all different backgrounds, all different reasons for being there. Yeah, and I think of think of all the 34 interviewees in the book, plus me, the 35th, as we're all running a marathon somehow. And some days you'll have a better day with the trauma, other days you won't. Sometimes you'll be three miles behind the front runner, whatever. Sometimes you'll start accelerating, but we're all on that same journey all heading it sounds horribly pretentious doesn't it but all heading to a degree of healing through running mm. and i think that's what running gives us and that's what this book tries to celebrate that running oh, it's just it's absolute bliss if you've got the the health to do it it just gives you so much and yeah. it just keeps on giving and yeah i'm not going to run marathons as fast as i used to but i'm still not convinced i've had the best out of running yet the best yeah. is probably yet to come and that is just through I don't know, the solace, the comfort, the consolation, just you know, the healing, the sheer healing, yeah. getting out there, being part of something and running. Phil, thanks so much for um, telling us your story and talking about the book for My the pleasure. podcast. Um, we've got an article uh, coming out on your book uh, later in uh, this month, in this, this issue of Runner's World. Um, I know the book's out in, in all good uh, bookshops and online. So yeah, if any listeners, uh, that resonates with them, we'd fully encourage them to go out and buy it and thank you again for, for coming on my pleasure really lovely to speak to you hey thanks very much thanks for, uh, the book is outrunning the demons in case we haven't mentioned it <laughs> <laughs> this is the runner's world podcast right i wanted to i wanted to bring something up rick which we see come up so it comes in cycles yeah but what why do people feel the need to dislike runners and i bring this up because okay. uh, at the weekend the times published a sort of fluff piece titled proof at last that running really isn't good for you right yeah that was an opinion piece and it's sort of the usual anti-running guff that sort of yeah. comes up and um but i just it, it it i guess it's there to be read or not read like that's mm. totally down to the user and the individual i'm just wonder why is it is it something to be controversial for controversy's sake to gain a bit of internet chatter to yeah. sort of position yourself why or do people genuinely dislike other people running yeah it's interesting like you say this this stuff comes up about once a year you get one of these sort of opinion pieces about running is bad for you running actually talk about stuff like chronic cardio yeah, right. out. so this is the idea that actually going for these long runs isn't good for you and puts your heart in danger what you ought to be doing i'm not sure the piece talked about that but you often get this argument that says what you should be doing actually is just sprinting or going or doing hit for yeah. like two minutes yeah, a day yeah, okay and i just think actually it's these things are massive generalizations that almost are deliberately um offering a kind of simplified version of the truth and most of the evidence, Ben, as we know, is that running is actually rather good for you on lots of levels. Yeah, well, I think that there's, there's two things. I think mean, I would be very concerned if someone who was having a very bad time was and was looking for an alternative way of making themselves better that wasn't prescribed medicines, was, wasn't something else, and someone referenced them to go for a run. Yeah. Like a GP might tell them to go to a park run, sure. something like that. And all of a sudden they don't because they've read a an opinion piece sure. which is kind of nonsense yeah because it's powerful yeah because yeah. and then it gets shared around and people would see it and it'd be running mm. as bad for you and you know fake news etc mm. i would hate to think that someone wouldn't try to uh, something once that might make them feel better because they read something like that so that's why it kind yeah. of it struck a chord with me and i'm not just talking about like getting fast or being the best runner ever but i'm talking about the the benefits that we discuss regularly and mm. running the fact that it can really help settle you and, and fill who talks to us on this podcast. 100%. The, the, the healing power of it or the, the positivity that people gain from it. Yeah. That sort of stuff that kind of irks me when... Agreed. Yeah, agreed. You, 
like listening to Phil talk then, it's like the running's myriad benefits are not just about looking after your physical health no. or like, you know, no. bringing your heart rate down. It's It's got these great holistic benefits. And I think if people actually look and do a little bit of, even just a bit of Googling, they'll say the, the vast majority of evidence suggests that, that running is good for you. Everyone who's listening to this presumably is on board with that anyway. But I agree with you. I'm frustrated those pieces come out with a kind of, this kind of depressing regularity. And just a sort of like a, a sort of, uh, I, I just sort of always, it kind of almost encroaches onto the, a world of where there's a resentment towards those who are running. Mm. And I don't get that either. Like, oh, look at that person being fit. Yeah. Idiot. Do you know what I mean? Like, all, sure. There's, 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 it's either there is an excuse for themselves to live their lifestyle in a way that they want, but not for yeah. someone else. I don't. I think you're right. I'm, I think, ex- I'm, extra- I, I'm probably extracting far more from it than I should. No, but I think it happens with cycling. Well, I think any big movement where people are often slightly evangelical about stuff and are often telling you that it's great, yeah, sets itself up to be attacked a bit, doesn't it? So, yeah, of like, course. So people want to take a pop shot at this stuff because it's it, it, for maybe in their mind they think that there's something kind of morally superior about yeah, being a road. Yeah, and, and and you know I'll. I'll I'll play the other side of this as well. Yeah. Some runners are awful. Yeah, I mean, and it, and, it, and running isn't a magic bullet either, is no, it? And that's no, the other thing. No, no, true. Um, so that it may be that that kind of, Does sort of starts people off yeah, down this yeah, road. True. But, but I would hate. So basically, what I think I would hate for anyone to not run upon reading something just on that opinion, just yeah, because it yeah. might be the thing that really helps. This is the Runners World podcast. Last month, Jasmine Paris made headline news when she won the spine race. Not only did she win the 268-mile race outright, beating all the men and all the women, she also smashed the course record, and she did it all while expressing milk for her baby daughter en route. Jasmine, welcome to the Runners World podcast. Hello. Now that the dust has um, has settled, Jasmine, on your um, victory, do you get a sense of the kind of scale of what you achieved? Well, I'm obviously like um, I'm obviously really proud of um, what I did achieve, and and I sort of felt that way when I when I finished the race as well. I think the what's really been sort of um, um, quite eye opening is the response that um, it's had in in the media, mm. and I wasn't really expecting that. So I feel like that snowballed rather from just I guess what I expected maybe local news, and then it sort of became national news, and then it sort of spread across the world. Um, so that's that certainly surprised me. You were on BBC News, at, I think Barbara Streisand at one point yeah. <laughs> tweeted about it. Have you been a bit kind of overwhelmed by the amount of interest? Yeah, the, yeah. the, the press stuff. Yeah, because I'm just I'm just a fell winner, and I don't think um, yeah, this is like completely not this is not typical at all for our kind of sport. All this like yeah, usually we wouldn't you know wouldn't even get anything in the local newspaper type thing. So. Um, it's really, really a depart from the norm. Yeah, it's not often that kind of fell running or mountain running makes the kind of national news, is it? It's almost kind of opposite of that. It's such a kind of humble yeah. kind of sport, yeah. Exactly, yeah. Onto the race itself. Well, I mean, what were your expectations, Jasmine, going into it? Were, were you going for the overall win or were you, were you thinking about the course record? So, for, in terms of, I, I sort of started the race um, thinking that I could be competitive, mm. um, wanting to be competitive. But obviously, it was a race unlike any that I've done before, so um, that meant that there was a lot of uncertainties in it. Um, so, whilst wanting to be competitive, I also, you know, easily something could have happened that um, would have meant that I wouldn't have finished the race. I mean, it's, as I say, it's a long way. Yeah. There's the whole sleep aspect. Um, as we saw with Eugenie, there's there's things like hypothermia and other and and, and sort of challenges like that yeah. um, that could easily mean that you didn't finish the race. So, I, I felt that I could be competitive, and in terms of the record. Um, 
record, uh, I think that's so dependent on the conditions that I didn't really have any sort of plans um, mm. with regards to that beforehand. I mean, I, I sort of drew up some splits, and um, if you were sort of guessing, you know, I sort of naively guessed, oh, look, if you run at four miles an hour, you could still have, um, yeah. you know, these good sleeps at these checkpoints and, and still break the record. I think it was a bit naive of me, though, to think that, because actually running at four miles an hour once you've been running for 268 <laughs> miles is, is kind of, it just, you know, certainly for me it wasn't happening, maybe for someone else. So I think what I did in the end was sleep less and, and run slower, and then I ended up actually getting finishing in around the time that I'd, I'd estimated based on those rough splits. But that was, you know, it was, it was a complete unknown, really. It was I was just guessing. Because the race format is interesting, isn't it? Because you can essentially rest as much as you want is that is that kind of how that yeah yeah so i mean that sort of like begs the question and um, whether it's better to run it as a stage race you know because that's kind of it, it sort of makes it exciting tactically because you could go out and, and sleep much longer at checkpoints and then try to run much faster between them but um yeah there's a you know that's it's difficult running fast if you're carrying a pack yeah um, hey it's danny pellegrino from everything iconic ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. For navigating, um, a lot of it's in the dark. And the underfoot conditions aren't great. Even if there's no snow, it's boggy. Yeah. Um, so, um, you know, that 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 sort of those are all challenges to actually running fast across the ground. So you can't sleep too much because because then you certainly would you know it certainly would would get behind. How much sleep do you reckon you got in? What well, so it took you what three three days and a, a bit bit more than three days? How, how much sleep do you yeah, got? Yeah, so like three nights and I think you know sort of four days of running. Um, well, I think. So everybody keeps asking me. I'm pretty sure this is the answer. Um, but obviously I was sleep deprived at the time. So <laughs> I think that I slept for less than three hours on the second night. Okay. And um, uh, on, on the third night, I just had a doze for about 45 minutes. So probably I actually slept for around three hours in the entire race because on the first night I didn't sleep at all. Wow. So um, it wasn't very much. I had planned to sleep more than that. Um, it wasn't in my intention to sleep as little as that. But um, at the last checkpoint, um, I had... Um, um, my competitor was was about two hours behind me, and I really didn't want them to find me in the checkpoint. I felt that that would be yeah. a big boost for them, so I wanted to get away before they arrived. 
I mean, you're, that's, that sound, all that sounds incredibly challenging anyway, but you also had the kind of additional um, challenge of expressing milk en route. How, how difficult was that? How much of a sort of distraction was that? Or, in fact, was it, did it kind of take your mind off at some of the other parts of the race? Yeah, so, I mean, it, it was sort of... Um, I really hadn't want, you know, I hadn't planned that that would, would be an issue, you know, would be something that I had to do. I was trying to wean my daughter in time. I just didn't manage it. Right, didn't manage right. it. So before, in the week leading up to the race, I, I was a bit anxious about that, actually, um, just because it, it was sort of seemed another unknown. Um, and um, But actually, when it came to the race, you know, it, was, it wasn't really such a big deal. The first checkpoint, um, it slowed me down a bit. So yeah. um, everybody was pretty efficient through there, and I left the checkpoint last. And I think that was really because... Um, I had to spend that extra time um, expressing milk. But the the guys weren't that far ahead, and I caught them up fairly quickly. Um, and after that, just people get less efficient at the checkpoints, and um, yeah. and I actually was making less milk. So um, not unsurprisingly, I guess, my body yeah, yeah. Uh, responded by, by sort of really... Um, Sort of cutting the milk production, so it really wasn't such a big issue. Um, and you're right. So maybe, maybe sort of having that kind of gave me um, something to focus on and, and, and worry about other things less. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Your victories uh, kind of started, or maybe restarted, a conversation about um, men or oh, women bettering uh, men at, at kind of ultra distance races. Yeah. What What are your thoughts on this? Do you think that women do come into their own when it, when the when the distances become longer? Yeah. For sure, yeah. So I and I've even noticed that just in, in just on a smaller scale, just doing I guess what we call a long fell race over sort of twenty twenty five miles. Yeah. And I feel like um, um, I feel like I can be more competitive with the men at, 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 at those sorts of races. The yeah. longer you go, the more competitive you are. And um, it's interesting as well. I think men tend to start start faster um, and then slow down more as time goes on. Whereas right, I think yeah. women tend to. Um, tend to come through the field in longer races. Mm. You'll often see the women start, if you look at the uh, placings, the checkpoints, they they move up the field. So uh, there must be something about the way that women run, um, whether, you know, whatever it is that gives them more more stamina and and makes them better suited to run long, long, long distances. Yeah, I think that's that's, that's certainly true even in the marathon. I think there's quite a lot of data to, to support the idea that women are much more even paces than men who seem to get slightly excited and carried away at the start of the yeah. race. Yeah. Yeah. You've said that you're not planning on ever um, giving up your day job as a vet to, to kind of run full time. Um, yeah. what, why is that? And what, what do you enjoy about maybe having a full time job and also having uh, you know, a very impressive running career? Yeah, so I, I think, um, you know, I guess for me, running is, is ultimately a hobby. It's something that I do mm. um, to unwind. Um, and I um, sometimes I think that actually the reason I seem to do quite well at it is because I enjoy it so much. Um, and it's a kind of release for me. Um, and in some ways, work and um, running kind of complement each other because um, I, I do unwind by by doing exercise and um, it means that at work I tend to be more efficient just because I want to get away to go running and yeah. as well as obviously spend time with my family. So um, so ultimately I think that um, I, I would like to just, I would like for it to remain a hobby and a, and a joy. I think if I was to dedicate myself to it um, more seriously then I might start to feel a little bit trapped by it and um, if, if you know in terms of, career, of a career I'm not looking for a second career I'm just looking for um, for a way of, um, of having fun, really. I'm interested in the in the kit that you were um, wearing because I know it got down to kind of minus twenty wind chill factor, and it's fairly uh, challenging underfoot conditions. What did you decide to uh, to wear on uh, the spine race? 
So I, shoes-wise, um, so I'm an ambassador for Innovate. Um, so um, I get um, kit from them, which is fantastic, because I always wore their shoes anyway. So I was wearing rock lights um, um, with um, graphene-enhanced soles. So um, the grip was pretty good, and that good on all surfaces, so good on wet rock as well. There's quite a few wet slabs on the Pennine Way, <laughs> and, <laughs> and bog, obviously. Um, but they're also comfy, so they're sort of like, it's a bit like sort of wearing comfy slippers for, for running, which is nice if you're running that sort of distance. So, so I guess what would be less known by some people who've kind of just come to know you through Spine Race is that this is the kind of latest in a long line of, of very impressive runs you've got, um, records for the bob graham the ramsey round what what um what's next jasmine what's what's kind of your goal for 2019 so so one thing that i've not done before that i am doing this year is representing gb in um the world um trail ultra championships and that's in portugal in june so i'm quite excited about that it's, it's going to be a completely different sort of challenge it's much shorter i think about 45 kilometers and it's going to be really hot so i think the training is going to be really different so um so I'm kind of like looking. I'm looking forward to the challenge of it. Yes, I always like to do something new and and see how you can manage. So that's one thing. Um, I'm running the Petit Trot à Lyon um, with my husband in the end the end of August, and that's a, again a team race and it's again a non-stop race, um, and that's around Mont Blanc. I think it's about 300 kilometres and it's probably about twice the ascent yeah. there was on the spine. So that'll be that'll be an interesting challenge. And then I've got some other challenges planned that are non-race um sort of things um that yeah i won't talk about too much now because i want to keep them under wraps fair enough bit. <laughs> fair enough I'm, I'm interested in how what your running week looks like because obviously you've got a fairly demanding job as as a vet how, how do you fit in um running and the exercise yeah so i do all my i think most a lot of people with jobs that run would essentially train early in the morning so i tend to train at 5 a.m um, and it, that just means I get it done, and that it's a sort of protected time in the day. My husband and my daughter are still in bed, so I don't miss spending time with them. And so I get it done before work. And during the week, I usually run between an hour and an hour and a half a day. I don't run any more than that during the week, and um, then just because I don't have time. And then at weekends, I run, you know, sort of for maybe up to four or five hours. Um, but but yeah, usually maybe two or three hours one day, and four or five the next. I do some cross training as well. I swim, um, and um, yeah, mainly swimming really, and hiking. We do lots of hiking with um, yeah. my daughter on our back, so that's good training as well. Well, Jasmine, thank you very, very much for for making the time to speak with us on the Runs World podcast. It's great to hear a bit more about um, your spine race victory, and we wish you uh, all the best in in twenty nineteen. Great, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Cheers. Bye. This is the Runners World podcast. I've got a question for you, Ben. Yes. What's the most badass thing that you've ever done during a run? Because very recently there was a runner out in Colorado who uh, yeah. literally choked out a mountain lion with yes, his bare hands. He did. Uh, I want to. It was a juvenile. The the mountain lion. Yeah, not sorry, not the man. <laughs> yeah, even better. I mean, even more dramatic. A juvenile man. Yeah, it was a juvenile mountain lion. Right. I don't think it takes away from his achievement. No. But still, I mean, I feel. Again, like I feel bad for the lion. It's for just, sure, for just, sure. Just roaming around doing lion stuff. But I think it was—it's basically a kind of fight for survival at that point. Yeah, yeah. the guy didn't go out. He wasn't like no, kind no, of trophy no, I mean, hunting. No, no, very different. But you know, you do feel. Yeah. So I mean, I'm really glad that we run well, like an, a slightly hostile badger as well. But uh, still, I was very—I was kind of like, wow, that's really um, yeah, shit. Well, kind of amazing that someone 
had the was able to do that, but um, you didn't answer my question anyway. What was the most badass oh, thing you've ever done? Run? Well, I was just delaying because I just <laughs> I genuinely don't think I chased off a squirrel. Yeah, yeah, I don't think. Do. It, well, in a slightly less heroic uh, subject, we're doing the London Loop Relay. Yeah, in May. So this is this 150 mile um, loop of London. We've got a great team assembled, and um, I've done a little bit of wrecking, Ben. And I have to tell you that. If you don't study the map incredibly quickly, getting lost is almost an inevitability. Oh, all right. Well, that's good. I mean, that makes that makes the twenty-four hour time challenge slightly more. It's like an, it's a navigational challenge. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right, good. So we need to get people out there. On the plus side, no mountain lines. This is the Runners World podcast. Okay, now everyone, we must behave. Before we have the boss here, absolutely. Oh, God, don't behave on my don't behave on my account, please. Um, James Wildman is the CEO of Hearst UK, and this means he's a very busy man. But recently, he has discovered a joy for running, completing his first marathon at London last year, and is now storming through his majors <laughs> with a PR in New York in November that earned him a place at Boston. Welcome to the Runners World Podcast, James. Thank you, gentlemen. Very, very great pleasure to be here. Um, I think before we talk about Boston and your current state of running. Um, we wanted to just ask you about your. Were you a, were you a child runner? My personal journey. Yes. Yeah. Uh, well, actually, I wasn't uh, until very recently. I had never run. Right. Uh, is the truth. I worked in my previous job at, um, at Trinity Mirror, and they sponsored the Great North Run, and I had no intention of running that, having never run in my life before. And this is about three years ago. Uh, and uh, my mates, about two months before the run, said, "By the way, we're not doing it unless you run it too." <laughs> so, with that sort of blackmail, uh, I had no choice but to sort of get my head down and start pounding the mean streets of warning where i live and um turned out i could run so i I did the half marathon um without stopping i did a reasonably good time in fact my mates were gobsmacked because i beat all of them what what time are we talking here i did 135 off off the bat uh so with with some i mean obviously i'd done some training but not Mm. a huge amount to be honest and uh so with that in mind i arrived at hearst in sort of april 2017 and um I think uh, between Andy Dixon and Alan Williams, obviously the editor-in-chief and the, uh, and the MD of um, our wonderful brand, Runner's World, um, they were sort of chatting about bucket lists and things. And I said, well, I would obviously, having done a half marathon, I would love to do a marathon at some point in my life, but I'm sure I'm not capable. I'll be honest. <laughs> I turned it round on them and said, look, I don't think I'm capable of doing this, but because um, I hadn't even run a step since the mm. half marathon I'd done two years earlier. Um, so I said, uh, it's up to you to get me round. Right. And uh, Andy, I will remember this very vividly, probably the most um, demoralising conversation I've ever had in my <laughs> life was Andy. And I think I'm going to say this, uh, th- th- this is exactly what he said. He said, the trouble is, James, the trouble is you're kind of, um, I've mind my language, haven't I? But uh, you're, 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 you're going to struggle. <laughs> Let's put it that way, because you're an old guy. You're right. I mean, I'm, I'm 52 now. I was 51 then, and uh, you know, having never run a marathon or any, ever run seriously, you're going to either break yourself, become injured through the training mm. for the marathon, mm. if you do the training required, or if you don't do the training required, you'll never finish it. So I thought, well, that's probably the most disappointing <laughs> conversation I've ever Cheers, had. Cheers, Andy. Great yeah, Exactly. It was what? an interesting way of him to resign, I thought. <laughs> um, but uh, no, so he said, so he rose to the challenge brilliantly and he set me the Runner's World um, 
training schedule to run your first marathon, yeah. which I started on the 2nd of January. He gave me the first off to recover from my hangover from New Year's Eve. and That's generous. And I started pounding the streets. And, you know, I had the beast from the east to contend with, so a lot of right. my training yeah. was necessarily on a treadmill in, inside, uh, which was boring. But I kind I didn't do it religiously, but I stuck to it reasonably, I would say. Um, I didn't change my diet. I didn't stop. Um, drinking booze, which I quite like occasionally. Yeah. Got myself into a place where I was reasonably fit for the first time in three decades, I would say. Yeah. Um, enjoying my running, you know, just getting into the, you know, really loving it more than I thought I would. Yeah. And I ran the North, I ran the London Marathon. You make all this sound quite easy, James, and quite casual. How do you fit running into like a packed day? Uh, I don't typically. I, so, so right. I, what I was doing was running at the weekends. Mm-hmm. So I was carving out time from my family time, and um, I was doing a run typically on a Saturday, a short sort of five miler, and then slowly week by week building up my Sunday run um, over the time. And then maybe two, maybe maximum three times a week, I'd just after work yeah. go on a treadmill uh, in the local gym. But it, I'd having, I was having to sort of just find time do. Yeah. As, best yeah. I could just made it happen really I heard that you did some pretty long treadmill runs like three hours on a treadmill I think that might be a slight exaggeration <laughs> but I definitely did a very long one I got through a few a few um podcasts that day um disguy actually I discovered um Mickey Flanagan not Mickey Flanagan yeah, oh, yeah. comedian yes who who actually helped me enormously on a couple of those <laughs> runs go. all right yeah. good yeah. Yeah. yeah I think that a lot of people will will relate to this sort of idea of picking up running later on in life either for I hope so. for many many different reasons mm. not just necessarily like a bucket list challenge but sort of like regaining fitness from yeah. an injury or yes midlife crisis midlife probably crisis, comes into it somewhere um but why but why did you want to do i mean you said a bucket list but sort of like was that literally just it or was there sort of an over well i'll be honest i mean having the i mean it's a privilege to do the job i do and working with a brand like runners world it sort of it, it kind of you know, it gave me a wonderful excuse, didn't it? I mean, yeah. you know, I want to lean into the brands that we work that I work with, and I, I you know, I want to, um, I want to support in any way I can, really. So I thought, well, that's quite a nice way for me personally, a very selfish way, perhaps, of, um, you know, of, of of getting involved with what a good proportion of my my team do. So uh, yeah, that was great, really. I, 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 and I, you know, in the back of your mind, I think people. Do, I mean, I've always been one to set myself challenges. I quite like. Um, you know, pushing myself, and uh, my dad was uh, had become come ill, and I thought I've never really done anything for charity, yeah. um, so that was another motivation for me. And I was humbled with the support. I mean, I I, I think I raised almost thirteen thousand pounds wow. at the London Marathon. I had something like two hundred and fifty people sponsored me, so that was really you know extraordinarily hum- mm. humbling. So. You know, the whole, I found the whole experience absolutely brilliant. I mean, inspiring in more ways than I can tell you. I yeah. mean, it was, it was very moving. It was extraordinary. I had a fabulous sense of achievement afterwards. Was that a surprise for you, how much you enjoyed running? Were you expecting yes. to enjoy that? Yeah. No, I wasn't expecting to enjoy it. And um, I, th- I thought I'd probably get something out of the fact that I was getting, as you say, getting a bit fitter. But I mm. found it, you know, I, I think both in terms of my mental um, state because as you say we're all busy and we all work hard and there's a lot going on it's quite a frenetic life I think that mm. we have and you know in work given the complexity of what we're doing and the changes around us you know it, it's busy right so actually finding time for myself which I've never really done before yeah and just going off and you know losing myself a bit either listening to music discovering you know as we said um new com- comedians or or just taking in the sights and just breathing yeah. i mean i i've 
absolutely love that more than I thought. So I would say it's, it's as much mental as it is physical. For yeah, me. we hear that a lot in the mag. A lot of, of people kind of go yeah. to running for the the mental benefits almost first before the physical. Yeah, yeah, and and also I'm lucky, right? Because it turns out that either my genetics or there's something I, I've, I'm fortunate. I have a reasonably good engine. Yeah. Mm. Because I can just, I, it turns out I can just run, but Forrest Gump like, <laughs> without knowing it beforehand. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. But I've got a, you know, I, my tra- I, I went to see a trainer because my knee started hurting, and, I, and um, he said you've actually got a very good sort of engine, mm. you know. Ca- so my cardio is strong, but my mechanics are starting to fail right, right yeah. now. Um, so I've just got to be a little bit careful about pounding too much uh, yeah, concrete. We'll, we'll have you doing some kettlebell swings before you. <laughs> good go. luck with that. <laughs> <laughs> so um. London was was great. You enjoyed it very much. Loved it. So, yeah, saw parts of London I've never seen before. So then you immediately signed up for New York. No, um, <laughs> I thought that would be the only marathon I'd ever run. Right. And um, and given that our headquarters is in New, New York, and I had reasons to be there serendipitously that very week for business, I kind of convinced myself that it would be a good idea to do another one. Yeah. So uh, there I was in New York with my trainers and my shorts and. Um, great. I was able to run the New York Marathon. So I did that. And uh, it's funny, Alan and Andy said to me beforehand, you'll never beat your London time, which was 3.32. Anyway, it turns out I did. So I got my head down and did 3.19 is my new PR. 3.19 in New York is very fast. <laughs> like that's I didn't feel it was, but, it, uh, well, you know, it, I was... So that leads to the... It's a lot quicker than 3.32 as well. So you, yeah. want, you sort of, you wonder what... You Half a minute, a mile quicker. Yeah. So sub three at Boston? No chance. No. Wow. Well, interestingly, guys, it's funny because you know these wonderful apps you get now because it was slightly different in New York to London, but both were brilliant. And what New York had on their app, which London didn't, was a time adjust, an age adjusted time. Right. So my three nineteen. I'm not sure how the algorithm works or right. how they work this out, but my three nineteen age adjusted. Mm. According to their algorithm, yeah, yeah. was two forty three, uh, two fifty three. Oh, so oh, had I, I sort of convinced myself that had I started running in my prime of life, when do I you, had, you know, before I discovered yeah. booze and all the rest of yeah. it, then I might have beaten three hours. Do you now? Do you have a retrospective slight like, oh, I've, if only I'd, or is it just not like, really? You know, I, don't, I don't really have too many regrets, but I do think some. I, I do wonder whether if I had been a. Yeah, you know, if I'd taken it seriously as a younger man, yeah. maybe maybe I would have been half a decent runner. Yeah, und- undoubtedly. Give um, Mo Farah a run for his money. <laughs> did you see the conditions in Boston last year? Because they no. weren't good, James. They were. It was snowing, sleeting. It felt like minus really? five. Yeah, I thought it was going to be a beautiful spring day. Well, Boston, you never know. Apparently, so it can be really, really hot, oh. or it can be absolutely freezing. See, so. that's not good to hear. So it's just something to bear. <laughs> just, just, just something to bear in just mind. Just take a jacket. Is our is be the only right? Bit I'm going to have to have a. I'm going to have to have a, a rustle through your store cupboard. Oh, it's going to be great. I'm I'm doubly jealous of this because I. Yes, I, I'm sorry. To I once this. ran a, a Boston time and. Um, it coincided with a, a period where I, I was between jobs for two months, and I'd spent this period just running. I was on the North Downs actually, it was, and I was just. I was Whereabouts in, on the North Downs? Because I'm on the North Downs. So I was running a lot from kind of Guildford to Box Hill, and then Box Hill okay. to Caterham. So yeah, so well, I mean, I'm just above Caterham where I live. Okay, right, right. So absolutely love that part of the world, and I was, I was like, oh, I'm going to Boston, and then. I looked at the flights and I just left it a little bit too too long. And I'd also not, I also hadn't been working for a month, so I just felt like my wife wasn't really going to be loving the news that I was about to kind of pay for this flight to Boston. But by this point, I'd got in and uh, and I was like, right, I need to make I need to make a responsible decision here. So yeah. I actually decided to run Milton Keynes instead of <laughs> oh. instead of Boston. But I got the the grids, the grids basically. So it was quite a come down. Like I got the the mail through the post that says you'll get this. It says 
Boston bound, and I was like, I'm, I'm not Boston bound anymore. <laughs> oh, how depressing! <laughs> I'm but I tell you what, Milton Keynes Marathon, much more scenic than you think. Well, I'm committed now. It's a few weeks away yet, and I've I've got to start training properly. But um, I booked my flights. Good. So I'm now great. I'm t- psychologically <laughs> yeah. committed. Yeah. Yes, yes. Oh, that's great. That sounds good. So I mean, have you from from London through New York to now Boston? How is your your training looking? Is it very structured again, or is it? I think I've probably slipped a bit each time. If I'm honest, um, I didn't. I, I did it religiously ahead of London because I was a little bit scared. Mm-hmm. I, I, I was really worried about my, you know, just the ability to to get round, and mainly because Andy got in my head and said I wouldn't. <laughs> um, but. Um, yeah, I mean, it was the way he looked me up and down and just shook his head, and so it, it was just so demoralising. But I so, think he knew he's judged you perfectly. Uh, he, yeah, exactly right. He knew the yeah, psychology. He, knew, yeah. he, knew, he absolutely did. So I, I, I sort of did do that reasonably religiously and found London because London. I don't know if you remember, but London was really, really hot. Yeah, last we both year. ran. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You did both run it. You were you were pacers, weren't you? So um, it, and and it was like a tandoori oven hot. The, yeah, the, the, the road was melting, mm. smelled tarmac, and people collapsing all over the place. I remember mm. that very vividly. And, yeah. and I thought I got round that without stopping. And you know, so a little bit of me thought, oh, actually, this is quite easy. You know, I'm, I can do this relatively. So I think maybe psychologically for New York, in the back of my mind, I was thinking, well, I've done a marathon now. It's, yep. I know what to expect, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. I, and I did it in the heat of London. It won't be that bad. So I, you know, I didn't train quite as hard. And I'm not going to train quite as hard again for Boston because I think because my knees are starting to hurt a bit and I don't want to break myself. Yeah. And, you know, be in pain and not be able to do it. Yeah. Well, you alluded to the fact earlier in the interview, James, that you're that you're not the youngest of runners is something that you came to. All right. <laughs> not not, not, not <laughs> in. Um, There's but, no room for ageism anymore. Absolutely. But what advice would you give to a runner maybe in their 40s or 50s who hasn't run but is thinking about taking it up and is maybe a bit do intimidated? Yeah. Just do it. I mean, it's easy to become... Uh, a little bit intimidated, I think it's fair to mm. say, because it is it is a bit scary because you, you worry about you know breaking. I mean, you, yeah. you, you know, but I would say, and I guess everybody's experience is going to be completely different. So you know, but but I found it extraordinarily helpful. Actually, I didn't mm. realise that it, it. I didn't feel I needed the help or you know had had a you know something missing in my life, but. Yeah. I've found it really, really helpful, and uh, I would recommend it to anybody. I, I think for a, you know, there's no, you, you don't need any preparation. Mm. You just put on some trainers and a pair of shorts, and off you go. You know, there's no, there's no, you know, you don't need equipment. You don't need to plan it. Yeah. You don't, you know, it's great. It's incredibly simple, isn't it? Yeah. What do your um, family make of your your running? I think. Do you know what they think? I'm a bit, bit mad, bit bonkers. Yeah. You know, when I head off in this pouring rain sometimes, and you know. They know I don't want to because I've you know had a late night the night before or yeah you know but um, and and uh, but I think they've always thought I'm a bit bit odd like that um, so I think I do you know what they were really proud of the fact that I ran the London Marathon for my dad and that you know achieved something that was yeah. was very special for me so there's a, there's a certain amount of pride I think and I'm chuffed to bits with that yeah. um, and I think I'm a bit you know I'm certainly I've less lost some weight I'll be honest I, I didn't go out to lose weight mm. but I and I haven't changed my diet at all but I've just I've I'm in a much better shape than I was yeah. um, so that's good and I think they probably appreciate that I think I might live a little longer <laughs> as a result <laughs> yeah. Yeah. which yeah. I, I hope they is, is something they'd like are you slowly yeah. conver- are you converting them as runners do you think? no I would never do that no I don't think it's and my son actually you know what my son and I were going to run the London Marathon together last year mm. 
um, because we were both lucky enough to have places. But he injured himself training. Right. It was the arrogance of youth, if I'm honest. So he was 23. <laughs> he decided that he didn't need to worry about training schedules and right. ignored all your great advice, unlike me, and then subsequently found himself with a bad knee, you know, four weeks out. Oh, these young do... people. Yeah. Well, there is a bit of that. And, yeah. I, and yeah. I think, you know, he just thought, oh, how hard can it be? I'm fit. I play hockey, you know. And um, I don't want to do him down because he's a wonderful chap but um yeah so he didn't run so he deferred his place for this year and now i think he's a little bit disappointed i got my boston place because it means i can't run london with him because right. it's only two weeks after so he's, so he's, he's the, planning he's to also run london. got the pressure of beating his dad's time yeah, well, he, 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 he believes that's a walk in the park i oh, mean right, he literally okay. he doesn't i mean <laughs> I he, love that. he is 100 <laughs> percent. well we can, we can see where he's inherited his uh, sense of like <laughs> achievement from <laughs> <laughs> oh he reckons he'll just turn up and run three uh, sub three hours he's actually said if i'm not sub 310 i'll be gutted that's it. I mean, that's his fair play. Uh, yeah. That's good. Like that. Ambition. Yeah. It's good. Yeah. Natural what? ability. You can't question natural ability. I think he it's... might be question. Uh, he might be confusing ambition with ability. But we'll right. see. We'll okay. see. Where's your favourite place to run, James? Do you like running sort of in? I, I love running where I live, North, yeah. North Downs. Yeah. Yeah. I don't love it in the gym so much, but I kind of get myself into a into a mm. space with the you know where I zone out and it's quite it's yeah. it's okay. Yeah. Um, but where I live on uh, in, in a place called Wallingham, which is on the North Downs, slightly further east from where you were running. Yeah. Um, it's a fabulous track because there's a you know you can go off road. Mm. Uh, I don't tend to do that, which I should, but I should perhaps should more. Um, and I, there's a there's a run along the ridge, which is along the North Downs, with right. a really lovely view yeah. um, south. So I've got a sort of a ten mile loop, which is quite a nice. Yeah, it's quite hilly around there as well, isn't it? There are a few hills, which is yeah. why I think New York was relatively easy because everyone said it's going to be really, really hilly. Yeah. But I think if you're used to running on hills a little bit, yeah. it, I didn't even notice the hills in New York. Yeah. Are, you, are you close to, is it Botley Hill? Is that really close to you? Botley Hill. So Botley Farm Botley is Farm. the pub you're thinking of, yeah. which is at the top of Titsy, of Titsy Hill, That's it. Yeah. which comes up from Oxted. That is the corner of my 10-mile run. Oh, right, OK. So I run past Botley Farm. Highest point inside the M25. Well, that's good knowledge. You Do know you that. think that running, though, ha- is now part of your life, so that you'll carry on running even if you don't I think around? I will. I'm not sure I'll run marathons. Yeah. Mm. I, I am honestly a little bit worried about the knees. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, not in a desperate way, but I just... No, you know, you've got to be careful. Yeah. yeah, I'd like to be able to continue to run a bit and do tennis and play sport yeah. until I'm much older, and I don't want to sort of end up with, you know, sore knees or operations and stuff, yeah. like yeah. a lot of my friends are. So, you know... Um, but yeah, I think I'll always I, I, I enjoy it. Well, James, thanks so much for coming on the Runners World. Thank podcast. you for having me. So that brings us to the end of this month's Runners World podcast. I want to say a huge thank you to our guests, Jasmine Paris, Phil Hewitt, and James Wildman, and to Scramble Studios in Soho, where this was recorded. For more from Runners World, why not visit our website, runnersworld.com forward slash UK, where you'll find more news, reviews, and interviews from across the running world. If you'd like what you've heard, please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. It's also on Spotify and most Android apps. Thank you so much for listening and we will see you next month. The Runner's World podcast was recorded at Scramble Studios Soho. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 